بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم وسبحان الله رب العلي الرب سبحان الله رب سبحان الله العلي العظيم رب العزة ورب الكون ورب كل شيء كل شيء والحمد لله الحمد لله الذي نعوذ به من علم لا ينفع ونعوذ به من عمل لا يرفع ونعوذ به من قلب لا يخشع اللهم يا رب يا رب نسألك الله أن تجعلنا من الذين إن أحسنوا استبشروا وإن أساءوا استغفروا يا الله يا علي عظيم ونسألك الله عزائم رحمتك ونسألك الله أن لا تحرك قلوبنا إلا بحبك ولا تعمل جوارحنا إلا في طاعتك لا إله إلا أنت لا إله إلا أنت ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الأمين I start out the khutbah by supplicating God who is, un- who is like no other there is no comparable there is no similar God, the creator of everything, who is outside the logic of the created, the creator of the physical laws, who is not bounded by the physical laws. Our rational senses are premised on the ideas of causation, of causation and laws that shape and determine physical reality. The only exception to the existence of physical laws and to the laws of causation is God, God's self. And that is why we say subhanallah, meaning there is no comparable to Allah. And especially at the month, beginning of the month of Ramadan, the supplication that 
I cherish to pray that when Allah moves our hearts, when Allah yuharrik qulubana, when Allah moves our hearts, that Allah moves our hearts towards loving God. That is the highest aspiration is that we want the heart to love and we want the heart not to be content with fear or dread or caution because a lot of people might just obey God out of caution just in case but we want the heart to actually be affirmatively touched by God's love to know God and to fall in love and that when God inspires our bodies to move when we act upon the laws of causation the laws of physicality and we move our bodies the jawarah we move these the body we move the various parts of the body only towards what would please God, what would bring us closer to God. To be, to put it rather bluntly, is It is rather painfully obvious that if, bo if the body is created by God and your heart is created by God, then it is painfully obvious that you would not want your heart to steer you in any direction but towards God. And if your body is basically alone from God to you, then by what gall are you to meet your Lord having, having used this body in any way but in a way that would please the owner. How could you use what belongs to someone else, and in this case to God, in a way that would do anything but ultimately meet the approval of that who loaned your body to you in the first place? This is the heart and soul of Ramadan and the heart and soul of fasting. In Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter Baqarah, the cow, 
a chapter of the Quran that was revealed for the most part shortly after Muslims had migrated to Medina. And a chapter, Surah Al-Baqarah, is a chapter that sets for the nascent Muslim community, that sets for this new Muslim community, an entire philosophy of life. Surah Al-Baqarah, if you read, read it and reflect on it, you will increasingly realize that it is nothing short of a philosophical engagement with the meaning and logic of social existence in Medina and for any social political unit that would come to be after that. But anyway, in Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah Most reports say on the second year of Hijrah, the second year after Hijrah, Allah decrees fasting of Ramadan as an obligation upon all Muslims. Before this revelation, it is clear that Muslims fasted in a variety of ways. But out of, um, they didn't fast a consistent month, but fasted certain days of each month. And not necessarily out of a, a strict an obligation, um, although most Muslims followed the Prophet Wasallam in sort of a, a um, optional fasting. But it was after the revelation of Surah Al-Baqarah, especially the verses around 182, where it became now a strict obligation to fast Ramadan. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu kutiba alaykum al-siyam kama kutiba ala ladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon أياماً معدودات فمن كان منكم مريضاً أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر وعلى الذين يطيقونه فدية طعام فدية طعام مسكين فمن تطوع خيراً فهو خير له وأن تصوموا خير لكم إن كنتم تعلمون شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصمه فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصم الله speaks to the believers يا ايها الذين امنوا when Allah speaks to the believers Allah is defining the premises 
the foundations for what it means to be a believer. If you are not going to accept the terms of Allah's discourse, then you do not count yourself as one of the believers. And Allah tells us that fasting has been ordained upon you as it was ordained on those before you. We know that fasting is a very old human practice. From the time of the Prophet Ibrahim والسلام, there has been fasting. Jews has fasted in different ways on different occasions in different historical periods. So have Christians and so have polytheists and ancient tribal religions. In fact, what is interesting is that it doesn't seem that there is a religious group on the face of this earth except perhaps some modern re-articulations of religion, and we'll talk about that in a second. But before modernity, human beings always understood that their relationship to the divine requires some form of fasting or another. And Allah acknowledges that. Allah knows that, obviously. And Allah says, well, fasting has been ordained on you, as it has. Now, who precisely and under what conditions were the, the original ordination of fasting on other people, we, that, that's a very big topic. But it affirms that fasting performs a very essential function in our relationship with the Lord. Then Allah reminds us of the status of the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan is that in which the Quran was revealed. And to make things simple so we don't spend too much time on this. The beginning of the revelation of the Quran was in the month of Ramadan. There are various traditions that say that the beginning of every revelation from God to human beings was always in the month of Ramadan. That this was the case with the Torah, that this was the case with the Injil or the New Testament. But we don't need to get into that. What we do know for sure is that the beginning of the revelation of the Quran was in the month of Ramadan. And that the month of Ramadan was also a very important occasion in which the angel Gabriel 
would go through the entire Quran with the Prophet ﷺ to make sure that the revelation that the Prophet ﷺ has memorized is precisely the revelation that Allah wants to survive. We also are taught by the Prophet ﷺ that the month of Ramadan is a blessed month in which the power of those who want to reach out to God and to fall in love with God, if this is your sincere desire, then there are powers in the cosmos that will assist you, whether these powers are angels or whether God will use the laws of causation to help you achieve your goal. It is as if the veils between the dimensions, dimension earth and dimension heaven, is lifted so that the separators between earth and heaven are not as uncompromising as they normally are. For those who delve into the month of Ramadan and seek their Lord, so many believers who've done this in the month of Ramadan will testify that it's something that they feel. It is as if in the month of Ramadan, yes, when you seek your Lord, you feel the angels, you feel something blessed, you feel the aura in the air. Sometimes you even smell the perfume of the divine. But it is all contingent on you and contingent on how you approach the issue of fasting. The month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed as a guidance to people, Hudan Linnas. This intimate connection between the Quran and Ramadan. For so many Muslims around the world, they innately know this, and so they might read Quran or study Quran more in Ramadan. But this should be not out of cultural habit. This should be out of a commitment to understanding that this umbilical relationship between the power of the Quran and the power of Ramadan is charted out by Allah, Allah's self. Hudan Linnas as a guidance to people, the Quran as a guidance to people. But it doesn't stop there. And Allah goes on to say, So the Quran 
in its totality is a guidance. Guidance towards what? A guidance towards a relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A guidance towards those who want to fall in love. And a guidance towards the, for those who want to teach their bodies to remember that in fact they are owned by someone else other than the human being who possesses the body. If you want that reminder, then you have a very powerful combination available to you. Fasting and the Quran. But Allah then adds We could spend a very long time just talking about that very short expression. That the Quran is not just guidance, but signs of guidance and Furqan and criterion. Signs of guidance and criterion. I pause because there's so much that you can say about this, but we can't spend as much time as it would be needed, except to say that within the Quran, when you say bayinatin min al-huda, signs, signs are like signposts of guidance, meaning that attainment from the Quran towards the journey of guidance is incremental and developmental. That the more you engage the Quran, the more it anchors you and carries you towards a higher realization. The more you spend with the Quran, the more time you spend with the Quran, the higher your liberation, the more you are elevated. Different parts of the Quran will address you in different ways on different times for different occasions. And none of it is coincidental or happenstance. You could read the same surah 20 times and each time it strikes you in a different way and that is the way it is supposed to be as long as your heart is with God. But not only that, but it is also by Yinat Min al Furqan, a criterion. Now, this deserves a pause. Criterion. A Furqan 
is something that separates wrong from right. If the Quran, if the Quran doesn't transform you into a more ethical human being, a more moral human being who is able to tell the difference between wrong and right, then the Quran is not a forkan for you. It's not a criterion for you. There are those Muslims, and we all know many of them, who could pray and who could read Quran and who could fast, but it doesn't seem to affect their conduct. They could still lie, they could still backbite, they could still spend hours on social media talking about people, they could still use, they could still cheat and they could still do all the things that they're not supposed to do. For these people, the Quran is not a Furqan. This is the problem for anyone that says, I am a Muslim who follows the Quran, but continues to commit injustice, inflict suffering and hardship on people, rob people, degrade people, humiliate people. The Quran is a Furqan. A Furqan means it distinguishes it is the criterion that separates darkness from light, good from bad, wrong from right. For the Quran to be a huda, a guidance for you, then it must also be a furqan. It must also be the yardstick by which you separate between what you recognize as wrong in life and what you do not recognize as wrong in life, between right and wrong. The Prophet ﷺ said there are many people who gain nothing out of their fasting other than simply hunger and thirst. And there are many people who gain nothing out of the, the Islam than just simply reading the Fatha or Qisara Surah, short surahs, but it, it engages nothing inside of their heart and consciousness. We fast, we fast for the same reason that all human beings have innately, intuitively fasted for their gods. Of course, the ancient people used to fast to please their deities so that deities can bless their trade, can bless their marriages, can bless their lineage, can do whatever. But human beings innately recognize that if you live your life on the principle that your body is entitled to attain whatever it desires. I feel lazy, so I just want to sit down. I feel energetic, so I'm going to get up and do whatever. I feel hungry, so I eat. 
I feel a little, I want, I feel like a little bit of chocolate, so I consume chocolate. I feel I want to take a bite of a banana, so I do so. I feel that if your relationship with your body is that your body is the master and you are subservient to this body, then you will never recognize that your body, in fact, belongs to God. You live your life only learning one thing, that your body is entitled to gratification. Why do so many people in our modern age suffer from weight problems? Why are there so many overweight people? Because they learn to gratify their body. Of course, there are a lot of people who are overweight because of medical reasons, but I'm not talking about those, this issue. People get sick, people go on steroids, people so on and so forth. But it is that relationship of gratification. If you do not learn to discipline the body, to tell you the body, remember, you are on loan from the owner. The owner is God. And in the end, when I meet God, God will ask me, how did you use what I gave you on loan, your body? Did you cause your body to get an STD? To get some infectious disease? Did you use it in an immodest and promiscuous way? Did you use it to abuse people and to hurt people and to commit injustice? Did you use it to gratify your desires? The love, to love God, in order to take the initial step towards loving God, the first step starts with self-denial. Because God is not bounded by physical laws. You are not going to love God through gratifying the body. God has a very different logic. You cannot gouge yourself or the, the, the word, uh, you cannot eat to your heart's content and drink to your heart's content and reach God through that, the, the, the means of fulfillment and gratification because God's logic is metaphysical. Metaphysical. So it is only when you learn to deny the physical that you can start the journey towards even understanding God. So when God tells us in the Quran, when people ask you about me, God is speaking, and some people ask the Prophet is God far away or is God close? So God responded in the Quran says, and when people ask you about me, tell them, I am very close and I hear everything they say. Close, and I hear what they say.
So God is there. But that journey of understanding the God who is there and who you will meet you will in the end you're marching you're like on a plane you're on a plane and this plane is going to land you know you know it's going to land death is coming but there are some people on this plane that get drunk and they get giddy and they get happy and they get distracted and they're having so much fun, they forget that the plane is going to land. Can you imagine the silliness of this? Some people on a plane, they get so happy that they forget about the landing and they start partying and doing whatever they feel like doing, bothering people, being rude to people. They're going to land and they're going to pay for their behavior. It's inevitable. But some of them will even start arguing with the, the stewardess and the pilot, as if the plane is not going to land and, and they're going to, it's, it's all going to come to nest. We are like that. The plane is going to land. You, you know, all the arguments, all the philosophizing, all the distractions, all the, 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 everything you do. Fasting is like telling you, think of it this way. Satisfying the body is like that person on the plane who gets intoxicated in order to forget what will happen after the plane lands. Fasting is the key to remembrance, self-denial, to learn to dominate and control this body through self-denial keeps you in a state of remembrance that the plane will land and the account and your bill has to be settled. The bill has to be settled. Whatever you ordered on the plane, whatever you consumed on the plane, whatever you did on the plane, It's all going to come to fruition and in a very thorough accounting once that plane lands. ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الخاتم الأمين المرسل رحمة للعالمين It is no coincidence that in so many occasions and situations some of the most famous events celebrated in Islamic history, some of the most 
famous military victories like the Battle of Badr, like Fath Mecca, like Ghazwat Hunain, like Ma'arakat Ain Jalut, were all took place in Ramadan. Ramadan is a blessed month. If you want something and you want Allah to aid you and help you, do it in Ramadan. Intensify your dua in Ramadan. Learn to be a committed moral human being in Ramadan. Ramadan is an opportunity provided by Allah in a workshop of self-denial and restraint. An opportunity provided by Allah to renew your vows with Allah's promise that Allah will help you to renew your vows. If you haven't been good with your prayer, renew your vows in Ramadan. And if you renew your vows in Ramadan, Allah will help you. If you haven't been good in your relationships, renew your vows in Ramadan. If you haven't been good with your parents, renew your vows in Ramadan. If you haven't been a good parent to your children, renew your vows in Ramadan. Allah's divine force is there to assist you. Spirit and body. Of course, all with the caveat. If you want the path of Allah, then follow Allah's rules. And Allah's rules start with fasting the month of Ramadan. If you don't fast, and you don't have a valid excuse, then you have no grounds to ask Allah for that special force, that special assistance, when you need it. Think of the time, and Ramadan is the time to reflect on that. We are all now confronted with a pandemic. Think of the time of perhaps when you find out that a loved one has fallen ill, ill. And think of the possible panic as you rush to do dua and beg and supplicate and say, please Allah, save my loved one, save my child, save my sibling, save my father, save my mother, save whoever it is. The time to pay, the time to earn the goodwill is in Ramadan. So many people waste this opportunity and then they have a car accident or they have, they lose their money in the stock market or their business closes down or whatever, or they discover that the child has been going around with the wrong crowd and is now on a, on a, on a suicidal path and suddenly they want to beg Allah and beg Allah. But it all starts in Ramadan. 
if you don't lay the foundation in Ramadan, you're in trouble the rest of the year. Because that is the sacrifice. That is why Allah reminds us that the Quran started to be revealed in Ramadan. It, it, it's, it's that month that lays the groundwork for the trajectory of the year. And from one Ramadan to another is the journey. You can count your life with how many Ramadans they were, and each Ramadan is an opportunity for renewal. And think to yourself, out of these various Ramadans I've had, how many of them I've actually used correctly and how many of them I've wasted. You can evaluate your life this way. You don't need tons of scholars to tell you all the complexities. You can do it yourself. Think of how many Ramadans you have had and think how many of them you've actually honored in a way that is befitting of Ramadan. Now, still connected to the topic of Ramadan, but I want to shift gears a little bit. And I want you to imagine well, not imagine, but can you if I tell you that there is an American funded television station this is a television station that is funded by U.S. tax money funded by, by American government and this television station does nothing, well, about 80% of what it does is to criticize and attack Christianity. It brings in scholars, quote unquote, who don't like Christianity very much and that sit there and have, they have television programs that attack Christianity, deconstruct the Christian tradition, mock Christian beliefs, and it's all done on taxpayers' money. Is this right? Well, obviously, I'm, I'm lying. It's not Christianity. The television station I'm talking about attacks Islam. There's a television station that we in the United States government created after we invaded Iraq. An invasion that I might add is unlawful and immoral. And after we occupied Iraq and murdered millions of Iraqis, an invasion and occupation that I might add is immoral. 
Then we created a television station called Al-Hurra. Hurra. Hurra in Arabic means freedom. But the amazing thing is Al-Hurra has become a forum by which the television station itself gives television programs, in other words, it hosts, it actually hires people like Islam al-Bahiri, Abdu Maher, Khaled Muntasir, Shahroor, Ibrahim Isa, Yusuf Zidan. All of these people come on Al-Hurra, this station that is established with our money, American taxpayer money, all of these people come on Al-Hurra and do what? Attack Islam. Degrade and demean everything about Islam. They call themselves At-Tanweeriyun, the enlightened. But there is nothing enlightened about what they say. It's all darkness. And among the things that they say is that to Muslims, Ramadan doesn't make sense, fasting doesn't make sense, fasting is bad for your health, fasting will, if you fast, you're going to get corona, you don't have to fast, it's not clear that Allah wants you to fast, again, and it's all done on American taxpayer money. One of the biggest, if you've read in the, in the history of American Indians, in the late 1800s, actually from mid-1800s to the late 1800s, early 1900s, Congress apportioned money, it was about $3 million back then, to create schools for the children of Native Americans. And part of the congressional record for the purpose of these schools is to teach the children of Native Americans civilized values and to get them to understand the repugnancy of their Native cultures. Congress wanted to teach American Indians white values, the values of whites, and to get them to have nothing but disdain towards their own tradition. Al-Hurra Channel does the same thing. Is that the, what it does, it wants to get Muslims to look down upon their own tradition. It is part of a thoroughly colonial project. And it's done with our taxpayers' money. There is something deeply unconstitutional, leave alone immoral, about this. Now, why do I mention this? I mention this because there are so many American Muslim organizations that sit there and talk about 
Islam this, Islam that, Ramadan, blah, blah, and so on and so forth. And then they tried to pretend like we have nothing to do with foreign politics. But it is your taxpayers' money that is being used to forward a colonial, imperial agenda. Let me close with this example. For now several days, I've been hearing on local Los Angeles news about celebrate the, the commemoration of the Armenian genocide. That there, is, there was a special parade that was scheduled for the Armenian genocide, that it has to be canceled. It was on the news several times. They interviewed the representative of the Armenia of, of the organization. The supervisor of Los Angeles, the city, just spoke before the khutbah and again brought up the Armenian genocide. Congress just brought up the Armenian genocide. All fine. But how about the Bosnian genocide? How about the ongoing genocide of the Rohingyas? How about the ongoing genocide of the Chinese Muslims? Why is it that in Los Angeles, the entire world has to remember the atrocity and the offensiveness of the Armenian genocide, but the genocides committed against Muslims hardly are worth a mention. I'll tell you why, and I'll be very blunt. Because there are Armenians, wealthy Armenians, who went to intelligent Armenians and told them, hey, come, you've graduated from Harvard, you graduated from Yale, you went to Princeton, come, come. I will fund you. And I want you to do nothing with your career. But make sure that the world doesn't forget about the Armenian genocide. And why is it that with Muslims, no one talks about the Bosnian genocide, no one talks about the genocide that we committed in Iraq? All of you Iraqis out there, you know you know the level of the genocide committed against Iraqis. But the difference is there are no wealthy Muslims who went to active, intelligent Muslims and said, here, I am going to fund you, but make sure that the world remembers Muslim victims. This is the difference. I know so many wealthy Muslims. Ramadan will come, they will um, you know, start fasting, they will go to the mosque to pray taraweeh, mashallah. They will even have lavish dinners at their homes, lavish iftars. They will bring all type of wonderful delights from Turkey and from uh, Saudi and I don't know, from Egypt. And they will 
you know, be very generous at their homes with their iftars. But the but Ramadan, but the Furqan has not come to them in Ramadan. The Furqan that tells you the difference between what is moral and immoral. That means, that means, that makes me conclude that for the vast majority of Muslims, they haven't learned the meaning of fasting. Because if you are a rich Saudi or a rich Egyptian or a rich Turk or a rich anything, and Ramadan comes and goes, and you haven't learned that your wealth is not your own in the same way that your body is not your own, and that your wealth was given to you for a purpose, and that purpose has to be a moral and ethical purpose, then you've gained nothing from Ramadan other than thirst and hunger, as the Prophet said. I want to underscore this and then I'm going to close. If you watch a channel like Al-Hurra, so-called the, the, the Freedom, Freedom Channel, established by the American government, using American taxpayer money, Al-Hurra has been hosting one person after another to convince Muslims that fasting Ramadan is stupid, backwards, retarded, they have been on an anti-Islamic campaign, rabid anti-Islamic campaign, since Trump was elected. If you are an American citizen, you are responsible. You can't sit there and say, we don't get involved in Middle Eastern politics. You are involved. Because as an American citizen, we, the United States, shape the world. We control the world. You should be deeply concerned about whether your money is being used by our government to fund Islamophobic projects or not. And if you aren't concerned, if you aren't concerned, then your Ramadan hasn't taught you Furqan. Then there is no, for, no Furqan in your intellect and in your conscience. Allahumma afu'anna. Allahumma khfir lana. Allahumma arhamna ya rabbal alameen. Allahumma ahdina waslih halana. Wansur al-Islam wa'izz al-Muslimin. Allah forgive our sins, grant us and inspire us towards your love and to grow ever closer to you and closer to you. And Allah, 
help guide us to the straight path and to persevere on the straight path. Ya Rabbul Alameen, grant us the favor of your forgiveness and your compassion and your beauty wherever we go. وصلي وسلم وبارك على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء القرب وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون وأقل الصلاة